Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, it's the Planet Football Podcast. Grant Wall here with my friend Luis Miguel Echigaray. How are you, man? The international break is over. (laughs) Club soccer is here. Rejoice, everybody. Rejoice. (laughs) Lots to talk about this week, uh, and we're going to get into a bunch of topics on this podcast. Uh, Since the last podcast, actually, Mauricio Pochettino has lost his job as Spurs manager, was fired, which I would not have predicted. Uh, replaced almost immediately by Jose Mourinho, who already has won a game with Spurs over the weekend. Uh, we'll talk Man City, Chelsea, uh, we'll do more Premier League, Liverpool winning again, Arsenal, blah. And <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And we'll, we'll talk Copa Libertadores final because it was absolutely fantastic, tremendous finish in that one. Uh, we'll get into a few other topics uh, in North America. Uh, we'll talk a bit of Raul Jimenez. Uh, we'll talk Claudia Reyna moving from NYCFC to Austin. Uh, we're going to talk about our visit to Soccer X. Both Luis Miguel and I went down to Miami for that soccer event uh, late last week, had a really good time. Uh, we're going to talk about the Chicago Fire logo rebrand and uh, the owner of the Kansas City MLS team getting on me on Twitter because I said they had not had a good rebrand back in the day, but actually had done a lot of great things to make up for it to the point where people think now it wasn't a bad rebrand in most cases. Uh, we'll talk about Barcelona and Dortmund, both underwhelming lately as they meet up in Champions League this week. Uh, possible destinations for Mauricio Pochettino. And let's dive in my friend. Let's talk about Soccer X. We were down in Miami. First time I'd ever been to this. Soccer X is um, an event. It's kind of a global soccer conference that takes place a few times a year in different locations around the world. Uh, For the second straight year, they had one in Miami. I think that's going to be probably the case until the 26th World Cup. Uh, But just quite a collection of soccer people, soccer business folks, uh, from around the world and America with panels, panel discussions. You led one. I led one. Tell everyone about yours. Um, first of all, uh, one of the highlights, by the way, of Soccer S was uh, <laughs> me and Juan Arango were just walking outside by the golf course and we see like a full-on pickup game being played in the parking lot by by the workers, like a whole Mexican crew. And I just thought, this is the what I want to do. So for an hour, I spent playing, which was a really big highlight. So that was great. So shout out to everybody that took part in that one. But listen, like Grant said, it's a really big occasion, and it's a really good opportunity to not just work and network, but really about listening. There's some really great panels, specifically from an international perspective. And obviously, with the growth of the women's game in the last year and a half, there were some really good ones with that the influence of European clubs in the U.S. and vice versa. It was super interesting, as you said. Grant, you hosted one, and I want you to talk about yours soon. Uh, I hosted mine, and it was a great one. It was really interesting. It was basically um, a conversation about what former players and current players continue to do with their platforms and how they can influence the game with their messages, whether it's from a business perspective or a philanthropic perspective. 
It's about how these players can use what they know, what they have learned, uh, and how they can put it to use. I mean, we had Jason Roberts, uh, you know, more than 200 matches in the Premier League played. He's now the director of CONCACAF development, uh, does a lot of grassroots uh, and coaching programs uh, in, in the region, in the CONCACAF region. Brad Friedel, of course, a, a friend of the show, former New England Revolution manager, but obviously a Hall of Famer with the U.S. national team. But he's working a lot with um, uh, Jersey X, which is an organization that helps refugee children hmm. um, through charitable donations and, you know, from uh, you know donating jerseys and everything all the proceeds go to helping these kids but also he's you know he's he's very passionate about the development of the US youth soccer system in this country Alejandro Bedoya you wrote a great piece with him interviewed him uh, you know when he they uh the union beat DC United 5-1, and of course he famously grabbed a microphone and asked Congress, requested Congress to end gun violence. But he does so much more than that. If you follow him on social media, um, he, he he speaks the message, both on anti, you know, uh, speaking against those who are anti-immigration, celebrates diversity. He has a, you know, degree in economics from Boston College, so he really thinks about the game from a financial, logistical, as well as a social perspective. And Mikel Silvestre, that nice. was a fun one. Mikel Silvestre, 40 caps with the French national team won the premiership five times, you know, Manchester United legend, but he also has a few businesses, including uh, one where when he was playing at Manchester United, he started working with UNICEF and that sparked his uh, passion for helping uh, kids and the youth, um, you know, uh, development systems around Europe. He had, uh, f- he, he's from Guadeloupe, his family's from Guadeloupe, but he, he, in 2006, he discovered that his ancestors are actually from Guinea. Hmm. and Guinea Basso. So he, he he started this real big passion with West Africa and hmm. he went there and he founded five schools, good hmm. schools of hope, helping kids uh, you know, in West Africa not just learn the game, but really it was like an educational push. And he's still working with that and he has a few exciting platforms coming forward. So it was a really good conversation uh, about what players can do. You know, we know about obviously the power, you know, Megan Rapino. obviously it was her year, uh, but she does so much more than just what she does in the field. And these players also were just examples of that. So it was really, really interesting. Nice. Yeah, it was uh, really well done. Um, what about you, my friend? Uh, I had a panel uh, that was organized by Bayern Munich in their uh, Office of the Americas, but they actually wanted to talk about uh, leading up to World Cup 26, uh, some of the things uh, where Bayern thinks they can help uh, people here get ready for it based on their experience uh, with 2006. Uh, but also just... Uh, getting people talking about what's happening with the World Cup 26 uh, situation. Obviously, I think most of you know that it's going to be in the United States, Mexico, and Canada. Um, So the uh, people on my panel were Alan Rothenberg, who organized World Cup 94 here in the U.S., former U.S. soccer president. Uh, Rudy Vidal, from uh, he's the head of uh, Bayern Americas here in New York. And then uh, Chris McGuire from Adidas sort of looking at things from a brand perspective as uh, they get ready for 26. And one of the things that stood out the most to me is um, a few things that I don't know if I even knew before this. So I assume the public may not know too much about this either, is that World Cup 26 will be the very first World Cup ever to take place without a local organizing committee. FIFA is centralizing Hmm. everything. Uh, so there won't be an Alan Rothenberg equivalent from 94, the head of the local organizing committee, because it's going to be all FIFA run. Now, I can understand why FIFA's doing this, because I think it helps them uh, probably get more money uh, that they can then distribute to their members, um, as opposed to if there's a local organizing committee. Um, but also, we were supposed to be farther along now on venue cities and the choice of those venue cities for World Cup 26. One of the discussion topics that came up was we really hope FIFA gets on the ball and starts moving forward on this because you've got a lot of interest in, from a lot of cities in America to host World Cup games. And basically you're hosting each, each game is like hosting a Super Bowl in essence. And, there's so much more interest than there was in 94. Rothenberg was saying they actually didn't have enough interest from cities for the 94 World Cup at first and had to work really hard to get that interest. And here it's going to be a different situation. And, and Rothenberg's like, look, um, there's certain cities FIFA wants to be in. You know, New York's going to get games uh, out at MetLife. Uh, but there's other cities where it's kind of, you know, you're on the borderline. You know, is Kansas City going to get 
games. Great soccer community there, but they're going to have to to work. Um, and so that part was interesting. They want FIFA to get moving so that we can find out as soon as next year when who you know who will be the host cities for World Cup twenty six. Um, you know, and and then just talking to folks at you know Bayern about what they feel like they can do to help cities get ready uh, based on hosting games at Bayern uh, at Allianz Arena back in 2006. So I enjoyed that um, and just enjoyed seeing folks, um, you know, like our friend Alexi Lalas was there, Stu Holden, um, a lot of people that you can, you know, see face to face and catch up with. Yeah, it was really, do you want to tell the story about the text when I was about to fly out? No. Oh, we were both flying out at the same time Friday night, and Luis sent a text saying, I love you, and I said, I love you too, man, uh, but I guess it was for your wife. <laughs> well, the message was, I'm leaving soon, baby, I love you. <laughs> and uh, Grant knows how much I love him, so he replied, I love you too, man. And I realized that actually there was text that was meant for my wife, but I'm just glad that I kept I kept it PG, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I am too, actually. <laughs> That might have been a little uncomfortable. <laughs> but no, it was a great event. And um, there's a gentleman called David Wright, who we are in constant communication throughout this whole thing, helped us organize it. Uh, one of the main execs there at SoccerX. And I thank him and I thank uh, the city of Miami. And it was a, it was a great, 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 like Grant said, opportunity to just network and, and talk with people that are so passionate about the game. So let's go to the field here. Uh, lots to talk about from the weekend uh, and the days before that. Mauricio Pochettino fired last Tuesday, less than six months after taking Spurs to the Champions League final. That's kind of crazy when you think about it. Um, and what, you know, he's not going to have a hard time finding work if he wants to work again immediately. Uh, he may want to take some time off. If I were him, I probably would. Um, but what's your reaction to the decision let, let's leave Mourinho out of it for a second. The decision to fire Poach. Well, there are, I think there are two ways that you can look at this. The, the first side is, if I'm Daniel Levy, like what I'm doing essentially is I'm saving myself uh, you know, some money, so to speak. I'm giving Mauricio Pochettino $12.5 million to, to leave, pay it off, and then you know, bring in somebody that can maybe, according to him, you know, bring some balance, et cetera, no matter you know, what you may think of Jose Mourinho. Um, you could say that, yes, you know, this has been a, a disastrous year for Tottenham. It hasn't just been the beginning of the season where from February they've only, uh, not including the game that they, just they happened. They did make the Champions League final. Let me just, I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm <laughs> okay. not done. But from February they had yeah. only, you know, garnered 25 points from 24 matches. Uh, you could see that Tottenham was getting restless. Um, but... And this is my point. People often forget uh, something. Mauricio Pochettino not only made Tottenham better, he made them a top four team, a point away from winning the premiership in the famous Leicester uh, triumph. He got them to the Champions League final, as you said, this year. He did put them in the Champions League final last season in a top four situation last season without bringing in a single player. And that was not a Mauricio Pochettino decision. He knew what he had, and he knew that nothing was going to come in. Granted, a lot of the you know money and revenue came towards the new stadium, so there were a lot of obstacles against him. But anybody that follows me, anybody that reads my stuff, whether they're listening to me and you talk or on Planet Football TV, I am the biggest cheerleader of Mauricio Pochettino because of what he achieved. And just like Jonathan Wilson wrote for us, he leaves with his reputation and his dignity intact. This is a manager that knows, that has done so much for this club. I mean, let's put something into perspective. I need to say it again, I feel. He put them in the Champions League final in a top four spot without bringing in a single player. That's incredible. If you are a Manchester City and you're trying to win the Premiership, do you think, and this may be just a rhetorical question, but do you think that Pep Guardiola would win the Premiership had he not brought anybody in, right? Taking in mind that you've got to play in the Champions League, etc. I don't know. The question is, is, I think we take that for granted a little bit. And then obviously this season didn't start well. He has a high-press system that can demand a lot of players physically. So by the time January hits, these players get tired. But that's another conversation. 
the conclusion to what I'm saying is this. I am the biggest fan of Mauricio Pochettino. He leaves with his dignity and reputation intact. And like you said, he's not going to have any problems finding a job. But like you said, again, if I were him, I would take a nice long break because he deserves it. I think it's possible to say both that he probably should have left at some point here, maybe not necessarily last week, but that it's not that surprising that he's out. It's possible to say that and say also that Pochettino over the last several years has completely changed people's expectations of Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah. And that's no small thing. And if they don't continue to do finish in the top four every year, finish higher than Arsenal every year uh, moving forward, which they may not do, then people at Spurs will have even better feelings toward Mauricio Pochettino. And I can't wait to see if his next project indeed is with a club that supports him from a transfer perspective, supports him in any way that he wants. The sky's the limit, I think, for somebody like him. I mean, and let's not forget he has experience in La Liga. He, you know, when he first came to the Premier League, he joined Southampton. And I remember at the time, people were like, what is Southampton thinking? He didn't speak any English. We know how little that matters anymore, right? And he transformed Southampton in a, in, you know, in a, in a, from a team that just salvaged relegation to, at that time, you know, worthy of a European qualification spot. And then his reputation grew to Tottenham. And it never, never really went down from that. Like you said, he completely changed the expectations of what Tottenham is. Part of me wants to ask Ernie Stewart if he would hire Mauricio Pochettino <laughs> for the U.S. job just so he can say he doesn't speak good enough English. God, that's such Not a good, good enough. Please ask that question. I think it would be amazing. But Mauricio Pochettino, I think we can both agree, leaves with his dignity intact, his reputation intact, and there's no doubt that he will have a, a list of suitors w when that time comes. I, and, and I would say, here's two. Man United next season, Bayern Munich next season. I hope it's Bayern Munich. Why? I think that I'm, I'm thinking more for him. I want him to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> what would make him unhappy about United? Just the general because lack I, of a plan? Yes, I think Manchester United needs more than a manager. We've talked about the yeah. fact that there's no vision there. There's no director of football that can truly understand not just what's happening in 2019, 2020, but what's happening in five years to come. Right. Can they help develop the academy? You know, all these things. I think Bayern Munich is better equipped for that. And I think that... It would be nice for him to experience a brand new league and see what that's like. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes sense to me. Um, we will see what ends up happening there because obviously some other jobs are going to come open. Uh, Jose Mourinho gets hired early the next morning. So that came together quickly. Obviously, much had happened before the decision to, to sack uh, Pochettino. Uh, and Mourinho ends up you know, having like two training sessions and then wins 3-2. Uh, at a terrible West Ham team, or at least terrible right now, for Spurs' first away win in the league since January. <laughs> um, it always happens, isn't it? <laughs> and look, I I like having Mourinho in the game. I think he's highly entertaining. Uh, I don't know if he's as good a coach as he used to be. I have my doubts. Um, and I don't know if it's a great match between him in Tottenham and Daniel Levy. I mean, that just, this is a guy, as you mentioned, has not made many transfers in recent years. And Mourinho is constantly pushing to bring guys in. And that's going to be an interesting uh, dynamic between those two. Yeah, I agree. I think the biggest question for any Tottenham fan and any neutral who enjoys, and I, I listen, I'm with you. Yes, you can hate him. You can criticize his arrogance. You can detest some of his decision-making. To me, the Premier League is better when Jose Mourinho is in it. I'm sorry. It just yeah, is. No, no, um, whether he's going, like you said, going to be a Manchester United Jose Mourinho, um, or even before that Jose Mourinho, or an early stages Jose Mourinho, the one that did so much for Inter Milan, and even before that for Porto, will, time will tell. I will tell you this. Joao Sacramento... His number two is a super intriguing person who in many ways is the opposite of Joe, uh, Jose Mourinho. He doesn't rely on instincts and he's a very detailed analysis-based coach. He, if 
very quickly, Joseph Sacramento's uh, history is his family's from Portugal, moved to Wales, and he educated himself in Wales. And especially with Wales FA, he learned his craft uh, actually at, at university. And that's really where everything kind of started plugging for him. And then eventually he managed to get the assistant coaching job at Lille before Jose Mourinho grabbed him. But from everything that I've read from him and everything that I've been studying this past weekend, he's a, he's a coach. He's somebody that is extremely passionate about the, the details and the tactical and analysis-based uh, information. He sounds like a future Mourinho. Correct. But he relies way less on, on instinct. Mm-hmm. Mourinho can very be very instinctive. He can be very emotionally driven when it comes to decision-making during match situations. It sounds to me that Joe Sacramento is going to be his yank to his yank. Mm-hmm. So I just think that part of the reason why maybe Mourinho failed especially with Manchester United, is his backroom staff, he he was trusting so much in somebody that he knew so well in Rui Faria. Now he has Joey Sacramento, who could all add a new blood and a new perspective. So perhaps we see a Jose Mourinho, what is it, 4.0? <laughs> but we don't know. It was a good win this past weekend. I mean, West Ham came back a little bit. But what I can tell you is like, and this is what I tweeted as soon as Jose Mourinho was hired, was what's interesting to me is this is a Tottenham team that for so long has been used to high press, nonstop work. Now it's a 180 where it's about, you know, defensive shave, sitting back. You could see it already against West Ham. It's like this huge line right behind Harry Kane and just sitting, countering. Uh, you know, time will tell, but, you know, we're all intrigued to see what happens for sure. You know, it's one game. Uh, I thought Deli Alley had a good game. Yeah. I wouldn't make too much of it at this point. Uh, I would also say very clearly Eric Dyer being in the starting lineup is very Mourinho. <laughs> uh, and I don't think he was great in this game, but he also hasn't played a heck of a lot. So we'll see if he keeps going to that. Um, I, I thought Mourinho's Man United teams were really boring mm-hmm. uh, and, and just not fun to watch and I think Tottenham when they've been good in recent years have been fun to watch and so I think their fans want to see that I think we'd rather see um, the kind of Mourinho when Real Madrid was good with him with Ronaldo like that those were not park the bus teams you know those were fun teams to watch he's capable of it Uh, and he's got he's got the players he really does I think he does yeah I totally agree and listen uh for anybody that wants even more drama, I mean, this next month is going to be interesting. You know, after Tottenham plays Olympiacos this week in, in the Champions League, and after Bournemouth, Manchester United, then away at Bayern Munich. Can you imagine if Pochettino gets hired? I'm not saying it's going to happen, but my goodness. Then you have Wolves, away at Wolves. Then at home to Chelsea. Uh, and then that includes, a, and then Tottenham, Liverpool, uh, right before New Year's Eve. So, you know, there's going to be some interesting games to, to, to come for uh, for Mourinho and Tottenham. And a good litmus test, I think, against Bayern, um, which, will you know, it's sort of a dead rubber probably, but still like 7-2 in the last game uh, between those teams uh, at Tottenham just to see how Mourinho's Tottenham might match up with them would be uh, intriguing. Let's talk about Man City-Chelsea. Man city to Chelsea won uh, all the goals scored in the first half in this game. Chelsea actually went up uh, 1-0 in Golo Kante, uh, who everyone loves. I think that's three goals in four last four matches for him. I can't, I, I can't remember the stats, but he's doing so well. But yes, everybody loves N'Golo Kante. Pretty incredible. Pretty sure Man City fans celebrated when N'Golo Kante. <laughs> like, everybody <laughs> loves N'Golo Kante. Um, but City, to their credit, turned it around pretty quickly. Uh, not a lot going on in the second half in this game, but we had talked about this game last week. City needed this game. Yeah. They really did. Oh, totally. And didn't could not afford to drop any more points uh, fall further behind Liverpool, and, and they have not now. So, uh, And actually, honestly, if you're Chelsea here, I don't think you had that much to lose in this game. Not People weren't really expecting them to take something out of it. Um, Pulisic did end up getting the start. Uh, not a huge, huge influence in this game. Uh, but if I'm Frank Lampard, I'm not I'm still feeling pretty good about things. Yeah, and that's how they played. They played with nothing to lose. I mean, there are two things that I took away from that game. Number one, Riyad Mahrez made a big statement to Pep Guardiola saying, you need to start me more. Uh, I mean, his goal was tremendous, but just, you know, what he offers to Man City itself is is pretty special. Pretty much 
the same way how we talk about Pulisic, you know, inverted winger. Matt Maris, that's the same thing. And it's just another, you know, asset that Pep Guardiola can use. The other thing is that Chelsea had more possession in this game. That was fascinating. And it was, uh, you know, this is a Frank Lampard team that said to them, we're going to give you a dose of your own medicine. And But I think that this is a lesson for Frank Lampard because it also overplayed its hand. There were many times when Kepa Rizabalaga had the ball, wanted to play it from the back, and you knew that Man City was going to press. Again, this is also a Man City problem sometimes where you overplay your hand and you're overconfident in possession. But regardless, Chelsea had 54 possession to Man City's 46, and that's a really interesting stat. So you could see you know, how Lampard is really building a real chemistry with Chelsea. And like you said, they had nothing to lose. They went here and they said, we're going to go all out. And in the first... 45 minutes, you thought th- this could happen, but, you know, Man City came back and won it. It was a fun game and one that, as you said, Man City needed to win. Liverpool, still ahead in the league, wins at Palace. Um, another example of Liverpool not being at their best, but getting three points away. Yeah, uh, VAR intervened in this one again for the Crystal Palace goal. I'm, I'm going to be honest to our listeners, I didn't see the full game here, uh, but I will tell you that... Crystal Palace did hold on a lot, and you know, but Liverpool came away with three points, and 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 so we continue the title race. Yeah, I mean, you still feel like right now this is Liverpool's season, but that obviously could change. We have a lot of games coming up. Uh, Arsenal continues to be depressing for their fans. Uh, they get out of Sam- Southampton with a point in this game, but. Uh, Unai Emery continues, you would think, to be in real danger uh, being out there. I mean, it's incredible the fact that it escaped against a bottom three team, Southampton, who hadn't won since September. Who lost nine to nothing at home recently. Absolutely. Like, they're just, you know, a, a lot of credit to Southampton. They played well. But Arsenal escaped at home against the bottom three team. Boos, it was at Southampton. Uh, sorry, at Southampton, yeah. but there were boos uh, around, you know, from the away fans. And I I honestly, I think if it hadn't been a point, Una Emery would have been gone this week. I don't care what the exec said like two weeks ago. Uh, even a point to me. But again, it's it, this is more than Una Emery. Right. But we know that. But yes, it's a downfall for Arsenal right now. I don't know where the answers are going to come through. I mean, if people are thinking that, you know, January transfers are going to be the answer, that's not it at all. Um, I think players like Wendozi are being asked to do too much in the midfield. And it, aside from Lacazette and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang being consistently good when it comes to scoring, there's just, I don't see an out right now for Unai Emery and Arsenal. And it's going to get worse because the schedule is going to get busier. I would also suggest that folks read uh, an ESPN story by uh, Seth Wickersham, Don Van Natta Jr. this week on Stan Kroenke, Arsenal owner's um, long adventure in building the most expensive stadium in the world for his NFL team, the Los Angeles Rams, approaching $6 billion after a ton of overruns. And that's got to impact how he views Arsenal. I know they spent some money in the last window, but that's a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, we know Stan Kroenke. It, it, this is a, you know, he's pretty much left it to his son to take care of it. There's no, there's no direction, but I agree. It's a great piece. Um, let's move on to, in my opinion, the game of the weekend, the Copa Libertadores final. Actually, not even uh, close. On not game, even game of the close. Weekend. Game, game of the month, game of the last six months. Uh and Flamengo comes from behind in the final minutes. Gabby Goal gets two goals and beats River Plate 2-1. to one. This game taking place in Lima. First time the Libertadores final is ever a one-off event, not a home-and-home. Home. Uh, and I liked it. I, I mean, besides the game itself, I like this idea. It seemed like the stadium had a ton of passion in it. Um, and, and we got a good game. Yeah, this was uh, very proud of my capital city, uh, Universitarios uh, Monumental Stadium, which is in La Molina, which is sort of the outskirts of Lima. Um, and, you know, 65,000 fans, I thought that, take it in mind, by the way, that this decision to have it in Lima is not necessary. It wasn't a six-month. It was pre- recent. It was recent. And, you know, it was well done. Uh, the atmosphere was obviously electric. It was great to see and what. A game. I don't know if you're a boxing fan, Grant, but this Saturday night, Deontay Wilder uh, fought Luis Ortiz. And the reason why I bring it up is because Luis Ortiz um, pretty much had the fight. 
and it took 11 seconds and Deontay Wilder like knocked him out and this to me the Copa Libertadores finals was the same thing River Plate was pretty much in control yeah it took the one nothing lead it looked good and then Gabby Gall Gabriel Garbo, uh, Barbosa came in scored in the 89th minute and then in the 92nd minute to make it 2-1 to Flamengo. It was unbelievable. And uh, if anybody saw the celebrations from Sunday's parade in Rio, it was incredible. Thousands of people went to celebrate, and hours later they won the league too because they needed Palmeiras to not win against Gremio. They didn't. They lost, and they had a double celebration. But the match itself, Copa Libertadores, was a fantastic match. And really, at this point... Copa Libertadores final better than Champions League final to me, in my opinion, right now. <laughs> I mean, comparing this final to, to the, the final one. that yeah. we saw in early June, yeah, no contest. I mean, I would also point out here, Gabigol touched the trophy as he was walking <laughs> out, which is like basically the cardinal sin. You don't do that. Like, like went out of his way to touch the trophy. Can you imagine what would have happened if like... Before the 2014 World Cup final, Lionel Messi had walked past it and like touched the trophy. Like, but here's what's interesting now. I'm hoping that more players now do this now that Gabby Gol has shown <laughs> it is not a jinx actually, and it may cause you to be the player of the game. Yeah, not only did he he didn't just scrape it, he like went straight <laughs> up to it and basically made out with it. Like it was kind of amazing. And yeah, he scored two late goals. Amazing. I I, I want to see the trend change. Yeah, I want every player to just touch it and hug it. But it was a great final, and like you said, I think it was the best game of the weekend, for sure. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about Raul Jimenez. 14 goals for the Mexican star now in all competitions. No player in the English Premier League can say they have more. Um, is he about to become, like, not just a Mexican star, but a star star? I think it's funny, because in the last uh, year, me and you have talked a lot about Raul Jimenez. And I remember we we nearly did a segment where it was like Pulisic or Raul Jimenez. Obviously, they're in different stages. Pulisic just turned 21. He's a winger. It's different. But I think Raul Jimenez is about to reach. If he continues, barring any injuries, let's hope, like, knock wood, let's keep him going. But he's about to enter the conversation of he belongs in a bigger club. And he belongs as an elite number nine. And... I, I'm a big fan of what uh, Nuno Spirito Santo does with Wolves, um, but they need to at least get European, get a European spot in order to hold on to him because Raul Jimenez is no joke. We have now, it's not even about the goals, and 14 goals in all competitions is, like, is, is remarkable in itself, but his movement, the way he brings players in, he's doing it for Mexico and Wolves right now, so there's no, you know, oh, he's doing it well for the club, but not the for the not for the national team. This is a player that's about to pass that next level, where we should be talking about: Does he belong in a top four team? We need to see this person in the Champions League next season, I think. So Wolves has a lot to do to hold on to him. I do feel like he's kind of not being wasted in the Europa League, but like he's not getting, he's not where he should be right. Yeah, now. we don't, you know, Europa League is fine, but we want to see him in the Champions League. Yeah. Um, let's move to North America here. Uh, Claudia Reyna ends up moving as the sporting director from NYCFC to Austin, uh, the team that, if I'm correct here, doesn't even start next season. They start the year after that. Yeah. Or is it? No, 2021. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so he's going to have some runway here to build uh, a development academy uh, and get things set up for the first team. And it's just interesting to me. We've now seen Dome Torrent and Claudio Reyna, the head coach and sporting director, choose to leave NYCFC, uh, which was the best team uh, in the regular season uh, in the East. And I'm wondering what that says about NYCFC. I just wonder how much control Man City has. I just wonder how many strings they're pulling. You know what I mean? I, I just wonder how independently minded NYCFC in comparison to other clubs in MLS. Because as as much as I enjoy the fact that, you know, there's another team in, in New York City, it's it's still interesting to me how the overall strategy is done for NYCFC. I mean, every year at least you get 
some influence from Manchester City. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just, I'm just wondering if Claudio Reina wanted a new challenge, one that had nothing to do with anybody looking beyond him. This is a brand new thing for him. I know that he's spoken tremendously a lot about the Hispanic community in Austin, how he wants to really incorporate the underprivileged areas in that city. And I think, and I think that he sees like Austin FC as a blank slate where he can truly take full control. I wonder if he had a few um, obstacles when he was with NYCFC. Um, I don't know. I'm totally, this is not a fact. I'm just, I'm just wondering. But I think that the main aspect is that he wants to take on a new project that allows him to really sort of put out a vision that he, that he sees for a team. Yeah. I mean, and I thought he did pretty good work he did, at, at yeah. NYCFC, especially. I mean, their, their academy is viewed as, if not the best, one of the best in MLS in terms of players it's produced. Uh, they just sold Joe Scally for a couple million dollars to Gladbach. Uh, his own son, they didn't get a transfer on because he uh, went before he was 18 to Dortmund, got a passport, an EU passport. But clearly, uh, the NYCFC uh, Academy is producing talent. Yep. So um, he also gets to work. He, well, Reina's contract was running out at NYCFC. He's going to get to work with Josh Wolf, uh, who's going to be the head coach in Austin. He starts his work in January. Um, finishing up with the U.S. team uh, right now as an assistant. So I will say this about Austin is I like how they're uh, they're making these important decisions on the soccer side well in advance of when they start play. Yeah. Because, by the way, Inter-Miami doesn't have a coach yet, and they start <laughs> play in a couple months. That is amazing. I was thinking about that when we were at Soccer X, yeah. and I was listening to Jorge Mas. And the vision. I mean, we're all very excited, and Miami itself. But it is kind of incredible that there is still no manager yet, and we are less than a week away from December. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at what Atlanta and LAFC did to get off the mark so well in MLS and compete to win championships, in Atlanta's case, win championships um, early on, they made those decisions much earlier than Inter Miami is doing. Then. Uh, than other teams that have been expansion teams that haven't done that have also done. Yeah, so Bex, get on with it. Let's get a manager <laughs> in there. Uh, I also want to talk about the new Chicago Fire logo. All right, Grant, I want to hear this. Okay, I, th there's two stories here. There is the logo itself, right, and then there is what happened on on the lovely platform that is Twitter. Yeah. Now, I mean, here's what I would say: like, uh, there's any time you change. Uh, a team name, anytime you change a logo, a badge, um, you're going to have negative responses. It's a matter of how much, how negative those are. Now, for a while, we thought that Chicago Fire was going to change its name. That did not happen, at least in terms of Chicago Fire. They are also now Chicago Fire FC, not SC as they used to be, which, you know, like, whatever. Um, but the one thing that just drives me nuts is in the crew did this in Columbus when they asked media to call them crew FC, like when talking about them or writing about them. That's crazy. That really is crazy. It's, it's not natural. Like I want to give a quick explanation here of sort of as a writer and talker, but as a writer, how I talk about how I present club names. So I try to keep it as simple as I can but still identify the team and I stay away from initials. Yeah. So like Hamburg to me, when I write it is Hamburg, not Hamburger HSV. Yeah. That's, it's just too much. Yeah. It's like lab back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, what are other ones? Uh, inter. Yeah. Inter is inter. Not AC, international. AC right? Milan is Milan. Yeah. So if you hear someone say inter, that's inter Milan. Inter Milan yeah. If you hear Milan, that means AC Milan. Yeah. And like, just keep it as simple as you can, but still identify it. And so that's kind of my approach to just about everything when it, when it comes to naming. And so... Yeah, so sometimes he doesn't call me Luis. Sometimes he goes, LM. <laughs> <laughs> I would just say that when I write about Chicago or the Chicago Fire, I will probably just call them Chicago. I may call them Chicago Fire. I may say the Fire. I'm sure as hell not saying Fire FC, okay? <laughs> and 
I, I will say this also that for me, even the term, whether you use soccer or football or calcio or whatever, I've always been very open-minded. I don't care. I, I, they're all good. And in a sense, when it comes to terminology, I want to be a big tent guy. So use whatever you want. If you, Luis Miguel, want to say Fire FC, go ahead. But I'm sure as hell not going to be directed to say Fire FC and yeah. feel like I have to say it that way. You don't need to say everything. Respect anything. It's like it's. Can I just say one thing as you continue? Because I know there's another part of this. <laughs> I I've, I grew up in Peru. I grew up in England, and now I'm in the U.S. I have never experienced such mightier than thou arrogance sometimes more than here yeah than in the US there is such and i'm i'm not talking about fans specifically although that does happen but in this industry of ours when we write and report like you said uh, we get so many requests sometimes and emails and comments please write us you know title us as this or call us this or write this it's not this it's it's it, it's such a there is such a thin-skinned sort of reputation with U.S. soccer, domestic, whatever. And I'm telling you because I've lived in three countries and here is the worst. <laughs> and I don't know if it's because it's relatively a young sport in this country, yeah. but there is this mightier-than-thou snobbery that just needs to go. We're all trying to grow the game here. All right, calm down. Calm down. So the other aspect of this is the new badge, uh, which... I think anyone who follows the sport is entitled to their opinion. You see it, I like it, or I don't like it. And it, it's perfectly fine to feel one way or the other. So I don't like the new Chicago Fire badge. Um, and so I had, I had a tweet that I put out uh, just saying, one, I like the name Chicago Fire. Please don't call, tell me to call it Fire FC. <laughs> Two, the old badge is one of the few 90s era MLS badges that was good. I believe that. I think the uh, the old Chicago Fire badge, like along with DC United, mm. those were two of the good ones that deserved to continue. The Tampa Bay Mutiny was not. Actually, this one kind of looks like the Tampa Bay Mutiny. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it. Uh, three, this new Chicago badge is bad. Four, please reconsider. Five, and this is where I got in trouble. As KC, Kansas City, has shown, you can still turn around a club despite a bad rebrand. Do that. So then uh, I get a tweet from Rob Heineman, one of the owners of Kansas City. He's a good guy. Uh, I go back a ways with. Um, and he was, uh, I guess, personally insulted by this. Um, Again, I will, I will say this. I think having an opinion, I think that's a good badge or a good name or I don't like the new name or the new badge, should be totally fine. And what did he say here? Grant, I've always considered you as one of the best journalists in our industry, but candidly, this is an enormous insult to the effort and intent we put in tr into trying to provide a great American soccer experience in Kansas City. Actually, it makes me sad for you as a Kansas City native. So he kind of personalized it. Um, this was a tweet? Yeah. So my quick response here was, Rob, the name of a team makes far less difference to me than what actually gets done to turn a club around completely. You guys did all that. You're still the only ones who have done it, which is true. It's perhaps the most remarkable story in MLS history and important to me as a KC native. Um, that's all true. And I don't have to love the name sporting to feel that way. Yes. And so, look... Here's And this is why this, is, this applies to Chicago as well. If Chicago, like Kansas City, does the right things over the next couple years under new ownership, whether that's a better stadium experience, whether that's choosing the right coach, whether that's getting the right players, creating the right club culture, creating a better fan experience, all of those things that Kansas City did, by the way, which are far more important than the actual name, here's what... I guess will happen is that the people, if they do all those things right in Chicago in two or three years, people won't be upset about the badge. Of course. Listen, what's the biggest problem right now? Chicago Fire hasn't made the postseason in four seasons. Right. That to me is more important. And again, I go back to the thin skin mentality here. Nobody, nobody's attacking it. I just think that there's a big difference between trolling 
and criticism. Something that you truly care about in this game, if you truly care about it, you have a right to say whether you like it, whether you don't like it. What happens is every week, every week, me and you deal with an email from somebody saying, I don't like that you said this or wrote this. <laughs> I'm sorry, but what, what, in, what in the world happens when if we celebrate everything, even if we don't believe is the right thing, how is that going to move anything forward at no, all? And I can also say this because being from Kansas City, I have been an overly sensitive Kansas City sports fan. Yeah, literally the the only letter I ever wrote to Sports Illustrated as a subscriber back in the day was when I just got fed up with headlines referring to the Wizard of Oz in Kansas whenever there was anything about like Kansas University of Kansas sports or something in Kansas City. I wrote because I was angry, so I get it, and so I've been hearing it from Kansas City fans here over the last couple of days. What I would say is this: rebranding from Wizards to sporting, I'm not a fan of either one, to be honest, but just because Wizards wasn't great doesn't mean I have to think sporting was. In the end, I didn't really care that much about the name because they did everything else right to turn around an original MLS club, which is actually the hardest thing to do in MLS when you look at the big problem in MLS isn't the new teams, it's the original teams. Sustainability, So, So everyone needs to do what Kansas City did to turn around their team. That includes Chicago. We're starting to see it in Columbus a little bit. Definitely means Dallas, Colorado. Those teams haven't done it. Everybody just needs to calm down. (laughs) By the way, I kind of like the new logo. Do you really? Yeah, I do. There you go. I think it's all right. In color, it's really cool. I like it. So there you go. Like the purple? It's a logo, yeah. Okay. I'm a loud, colorful man, Grant. (laughs) It looks like Space Invaders to me. (laughs) That's a good idea. Um, Okay, so let's end up here uh, back in Europe. Um, Midweek, there's Champions League games. There's not a lot of of drama right now, as there typically rarely is in the Champions League group stage. The knockout round's the best. Group stage, not so much. But we do have Barcelona hosting Dortmund, which is an intriguing game here because you've got two coaches, Ernesto Valverde and Lucien Favre, I can't, I've heard people say Favre as if like he's Brett Favre or something. That's ridiculous. No, you got to, you got to enunciate the era. You know, anyway, both these guys are in some trouble right now. And, you know, Valverde's team doesn't even look like Barcelona at this point. They beat Leganes barely uh, two to one over the weekend. Griezmann has done nothing for them. Uh, it's basically a one-man show and messy and they don't play like Barcelona used to play. They scored on two set pieces this weekend. Uh, they are leading La Liga, by the way, just in case you're going to get on too much. Um, Dortmund, bizarre game going down 3-0 at home to bottom-feeding Paderborn, coming back in the second half for a 3-3 tie. Uh, but after getting destroyed by Bayern recently, things aren't looking great at Dortmund either. And so I'm wondering, like, could this game actually hasten the the demise of one of these coaches? I don't know. The support for... I'll speak just specifically on Barcelona. Um, I just... I, Ernesto Valverde has been very vocal... Sorry. Um, Bartomeu has been very vocal about uh, Ernesto Valverde and the support he has for him. But like you said, this is not... And this is something, by the way, I've been talking about for a while now. This is not a Barcelona team that um, scares you if you're an opponent. This is not a Barcelona team... That is clicking that well. Granted, yes, they're top of the you know the standings in La Liga, but I think that has more to do with La Liga itself and the the three contenders below them, and how and the parity of the league because it's not that far off. I mean, Barcelona has twenty eight points, Real Madrid has twenty eight, Sevilla is in third with twenty seven. Below that, Atletico twenty five and twenty three. So it's tight. It's tight. But if you're thinking when you talk about Barcelona and you talk about one of the greatest, if not the greatest club in the world, you now are trying to connect it to a certain philosophy. And Ernesto Valverde, who's a good man, who's done a lot, it doesn't, to me, what's being projected is not representing Barcelona. Griezmann, I call this from day one. This was never going to work. Why? Because Griezmann is a point number nine. Diego Simeone turned him into a focal point. Griezmann has to be the focal point offensively. He has to be. Every, he has to stay central, 
and he has to be almost not just a false nine or a number nine, but somebody where you put all your attention to when it comes to scoring. Right now, Griezmann is part of a three sort of headed monster, you know, whether it's behind Luis, uh, uh, Lucho Suarez, but he's almost always on the left. And, and his primary objective and his primary responsibility on the Valverde is to almost stay wide. He can come in if he wants to provide, but he's not the focal point. Lionel Messi is the focal point. Lucho Suarez is often their focal point. And then you have Dembele and other players who are trying to facilitate and create. So he's obviously going to struggle. This is not his type of system. I don't know if it'll get better or worse, but you're not going to see the 20-plus goals a season Griezmann ever again if you're with Barcelona. Here's the po- couple points I would make is Barcelona did make it work with Neymar, Messi, and Suarez, right? And so if they can make that work, they should be able to do better with Griezmann. Now, maybe that was also under a different manager. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know who needs a number nine? Dortmund. He should, like, go back with Dortmund and, like, you know, like, they have Paco Alcácer, who's, like, constantly out. Yeah. And they have nobody else. Yeah. It's incredible. And Jaden Sanchez being used as a scapegoat at this point, and we're hearing reports that he'll probably leave in January. He they wants need, to. They need to sell Jaden Sancho and freaking buy Griezmann. No, I agree. Something needs to happen, but Griezmann needs to. I just, from a tactical perspective, from the way that I've seen him play through the years with France and with Atletico Madrid, Griezmann needs to be the focal point. I think the reason why Neymar, Lucho Suarez, and Messi worked one, this was a different Neymar. This was a Neymar that just came from Brazil and wanted to be part of a system that helped both him and the two other players. Eventually, his ego grew a little bit, and he realized, I want to be the number one star, and that's why it didn't work. Luis Suarez and Messi have a different synchronicity. And to be honest, the main point is what you just said. It wasn't under Ernesto Valverde. It was under another manager, and that helped more. But Griezmann, he might be good for a few months, but he's not going to give you 20 goals plus a season. But th- that's just one of the problems. This is an aging midfield in Barcelona yeah. that's not being able to keep up physically with you know, uh, teams that are more agile, uh, younger. So there needs to be a rebranch. All that money that went on to Griezmann could have been done to revamp the back four as well. So there's so many things that need to go on. And unfortunately, I don't think Valverde is going to last this whole season. I think he might leave before the end of the season. By the way, Barcelona's going to win La Liga by like 10 points. <laughs> Whether Valverde stays or not, just yeah. so you know. Yeah. Um, one more thing uh, in other news, just a story in the Netherlands you wanted to mention. Yeah, just real quickly, there's obviously so much horrible, racist uh, narratives that are going on around Europe. We just heard... Uh, I just read uh, something about Mario Balotelli from the Brescia manager, something uh, that he talked about. So uh, that's not a solitary issue. So many going on. The Netherlands has not been uh, excluded from all this. It's been going on in the Netherlands too. So this past weekend, Division 1 and Division 2 teams in the area Divisia uh, for one minute after kickoff decided to just stand still as a sign of solidarity and, you know, and a protest against racism with signs saying, Fine, there's racism, there's racism, there won't be any football then. So, you know, even though it's a small gesture, I hope that it builds up to even more and more and more. And obviously, way more things need to happen aside from just a one-minute stop. But it was good to see Ajax and Heracles doing it, uh, you know, a team like Ajax, the, the Dutch champions, to to lead the way. But, I, you know, we need way more, obviously, and we've already had discussions about it. But it, it's good to see at least that it, the message continues to be spread i more than one minute stop needs to happen but it's good to see it regardless well there's also a goal celebration by a genuine alden for the netherlands was it with frankie de Jong? yeah um where they were uh showing support for um anti-racist yeah stuff um is it a bad joke to make that if t grace was involved in this that they would have tried to score <laughs> i'm I mean, sorry you can call it a joke it probably will happen Anyway, that is it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time.